Yep, I'll do and welcome to the third episode of Loose Lips today on our 10th feature. It's mad to think that we've been going for this long. Uh, we're going to be speaking with Laura Bartlett who's just come through to the group. So I'll add her and we shall get chatting away. How are you getting on? Yeah, I'm good. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm very well. I've always wanted to chat with yourself, you know. Uh, a, a friend of mine, uh, Jordan Fletcher, who's... Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, he's, a, he's, a, he's a, a copywriter and a writer as well and, like, does good articles and stuff. And he's mentioned me to you before. I'm like, oh, all right. And then I've had a little gander. I'm like, oh, yeah, like, bossing stuff. So when yeah, I was doing you. this, like, I thought you're definitely somebody that I wanted to reach out to and connect and have a chat with. So I'm happy that you said, yeah, and we're here. So welcome. Yeah, to no, thanks lips. for having me. No, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, I know no. Jordan. He um he writes for my friend's, um my friend works at a lifestyle magazine and he's one of the writers there. And I've he's... seen pissed with him on many nights out in Leeds. <laughs> so are you from Leeds? Yeah, Leeds born and bred. I'm probably like the proudest Leeds person on the planet. Respect. I'm I'm I, I'm from Bradford, but I live Leeds. I always say Bradford raised me and Leeds made me. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's a good one. Anyone from Bradford should say that. <laughs> so <laughs> you know when you you know you're going through in in the in the world of becoming a a business woman and you know successful like standing out, bringing your own ideas to the fore. Do you find that Leeds gives you a good backbone for that? I I tend to find that you know. Been born from Bradford on like those West Yorkshire cities to 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 navigate you your way through life in those cities. It really gives you a good like sense when you come into the business world, a bit of a backbone to not take as much shit really, and really like be a bit more resolute with with who you are and, and your ideas and making them come through. Yeah, and I think it's so much easier to stand out in a city like Leeds because everyone's really open to meeting new people, collaborating, getting involved and. Um, my business, prime, like uh, I own, so I own a, a luxury travel magazine, which is a print magazine sold on the newsstands in London. So it's in like Harrods, Selfridges, and places like that. And every time I go to London, which is every month for like meetings and stuff, people say, "Oh my God, why don't you live in London? Why don't you live in London?" I'm like, "Hell no! Like I'd rather be." a big fish in a little pond than a little fish in a big pond. And um, I, yeah, I just think there is no reason why. I, I also really am keen to put Leeds on the map. Like yes. I think we're, we're a great city. There's so much talent here and we need to like shout about that and, you know, raise each other up. It's serious you said that because a lot of chats that I've had have been with people who've been successful in Leeds and the felt they've needed to move to London and they're progressing really well. I love that little shake of the head. <laughs> yeah. But they're progressing really well down there and they're tempting <clears> the carrot. But I'm the same. I want to build my empire here and feel like I want people to look at this and think, wow, that's what's happening up there and create a movement. And I really think that Leeds has the personalities and the size of the city the friendliness and the way that the creatives, the, the circles tend to cross over. I really think that we, we can really put the city on the map for a creative sense. I think it was there for its music when it comes to like the house scene and the, the partying scene and the club scene. I definitely think that mm. Leeds is respected and revered for that and essentially for the music as well. But I, I'd like to see it, you know, with like the the creative writing side of it and, and, and a bit more of the comedy side as well. I definitely think that Leeds has a, a platform to be to be put on yeah 
I really do believe we're the capital of the north. And what I do find interesting when you go to London is a lot of people don't think that life exists past the M25. And it's like, no one realizes how much talent we have in this city. Like the creative sector, you know, business, everything. There's so much talent in this city. There's no reason to look outside of it. Are you looking forward to uh, Channel 4 coming up then? Because I think that something like that is going to be a real flag in the city. I think it's, it's, it's interesting you said that with Capital at North because I'm going to get in trouble for this now because I definitely do, but I, I'm, You're going to starting say Manchester. To I'm starting to understand. This is a political way of saying I'm starting to understand why people do feel it is Manchester. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to hang up. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's, you know, it, obviously it's a fair argument and I do think Manchester is a fantastic city, but um, Leeds born and bred, I'm obviously going to be biased. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's no need to have the rivalry either. I do think like as Northerners, we all just like mucking and everyone mm. supports each other, whether you're Leeds, Manchester, whatever. Like I work with loads of creatives in Manchester and, you know, we're only 40 minutes down the motorway. There's no need to be like against each other. I think we can all just thrive together. And I think the mistake that people uh, used to make in Leeds many years ago was if one person got an opportunity, it was kind of like, mine, 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 I'm, I'm not bringing anyone in. And I feel like there's been a bit of a, mind a mindset shift over the course of the last maybe five years where it's like, uh, each one teach one if i'm going up i'm taking you with you with you like you put your hand back and you take someone with you and um i just think there's such a nice like buzz a natural buzz around the city um in the creative world in the business world um and that's like something that i'm really proud of what was that saying you just said then reach one teach one each one teach one I'm having that. Yeah. That is class. That is <laughs> absolutely. I'm having that. But I agree. I uh, one of the philosophers that I, I like gandering at their like um, sayings and stuff. I think it was Lao Tzu. He said that when you look at a candle, you can light as many candles as you want. Your spark doesn't go out. And sometimes mm -hmm. I think that people don't look at it like that. Just because you're bringing other people and it doesn't stifle your opportunity. If anything, it broadens it because you're all coming through and it. it, it it just makes more of a unit and a collective that is more of a force to come through with. And yeah, I, I, and also like collectively, if we all like work together, it's going to naturally bring more opportunities to the forefront. 100%. So some people can just be so short-sighted. And when I first started out in business, so I started my first company 10 years ago, it was um, a fashion magazine for Leeds, Leeds Fashion Magazine. And I did a launch party at Harvey Nichols. We overtook the women's wear floor and we had like hundreds of people queuing up down the street to get their hands on the first copy. At Norman's was the after party. And um, I saw that as, as a platform, uh, initially, well, it was a platform to give the underdog of the fashion industry a voice. So it was all about independent fashion designers, because back then, fashion designers in Leeds were like coming up all over the place all the time. And they didn't have a platform to kind of share with the masses what they were about. But one of the mistakes that I made was opportunities would come in and I'd be like, mine, mine, mine. You know, even things like a free lipstick, it was like, it's mine. Or, you know, a collaboration, it's mine. And that company ultimately failed eventually. It was a long process of going on Dragon's Den, failing and going bankrupt and all that kind of thing. And when I started my now um, business, House of Coco, the lesson I learned was, if the more people you help get what they want, the more you will get what you want. And so I created this as a platform for my team to go out and live their best lives, traveling the world, creating epic content. And they live their best lives. And ultimately I buzz off seeing them live their best lives. and you the more you give to others the more you get back but it has to come from a place of like 
you know, you're doing it because that's truly your passion and your mission is just to help other people. And the mistake a lot of people do is they're doing it because they want to gain something out of it. So you've got to do it without the expectation of gaining. You've got to do it because you truly just want to help others. I think that can put... That's uh, when success has come for me. Well, I, I think that can uh, add an adverse pressure as well. It, obviously, you've got to have targets and goals because that's the sort of growth yeah. in which you want to, you know better better the business and the opportunities that, that arise but i do think sometimes you can expectation can definitely put that fire out in a in, in a lot of ways yeah and as a business obviously you have to generate money and things like that but you need to come from a place of where can i add value not where can i get yeah. money so if yeah. you just sort of switch the mindset instead of just constantly being on the treadful treadmill of looking for money 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 instead think what can i give 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 and then i'll get 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 well, you know, um, I didn't realise you were on Dragons then. What was that experience like? Absolutely awful. Um, it was six years ago, I think now. And um, so at the time I had this Leeds magazine um, called Urban Coco, all about independent fashion designers. And I applied to go on the show thinking there's no way I'm going to get on. And, um, and I got on and I spent months with the producers. There's so much that goes on behind the scenes in terms of like the due diligence, the, you know, making sure you're not going to really kill yourself after the show and you can handle the pressure or whatever speaking to doctors and all that. And then the producers said, you know, you're amazing, you're amazing, they're gonna love you, they're gonna love you. So I just went in there like, I'm amazing, they're gonna love me. And uh, when they did love me, I wasn't prepared for it at all. So um, I was asking for investment to take the Leeds Magazine International. I wanted it to be the number one magazine for independent fashion designers. And um, Peter Jones just said, who do you think you are? How dare you compete with me? Quit now, it's never gonna work. Serious? Yeah, it was savage. It was savage. And what's funny is, because um, I've spent years watching Dragon's Den, I've actually not watched it ever since, but I've spent years watching the show. And when people don't know their numbers or they fuck up on something, I'm like, you're such an idiot. Like, how do you know that? Like, I was that idiot. I was, I was that idiot. And, um, and luckily, is it because like, when you're in, ago, Is it because when you're in that environment, it just goes to pot? Well, I think it's because... Um, so like you you they picked me up at seven in the morning from the hotel that they put me in the night before and you spent i spent five hours in my heels going backwards and forwards getting b-roll footage and and you're knackered and i was the first one to go in that day there was three of the contestants and when you walk in when you see them for the first time like that is the first time you see them and then there's there's no um wall down the left hand side obviously it's a studio you think you're in this warehouse but it's a studio and there's like 50 camera crew, the lights are on you. I, I was sweating, it was awful. And so because I'd gone in there thinking that they were gonna love me, I wasn't prepared for, I think I maybe just had an arrogance about me at that age maybe, where, oh, of course they're gonna invest in me, of course. And I hadn't prepared for anything else. So um, they all said, I'm out. Um, what's he called, the, the Scottish dick? He was oh, rolling his eyes Duncan. at me. Duncan Bannatyne, he was just like, so over it and um you can't leave until they all say i'm out so it, it, it felt like i was in there for about three hours but the reality was it was no more than 10 minutes and then you get in the lift which doesn't even move <laughs> and you wait for someone to pull the door open and then you get rushed into um like a a storeroom and um you then before you've had time to digest what's happened there's someone asking you know the guy with the big ears 
yeah, yeah. it's that part but he, he he's not there you don't meet him um you're just speaking to the camera and saying this is how i think it went and i hadn't had time to digest it so i kind of said you know they're entitled to their opinion and i'll go on and prove them wrong and it was a bit arrogant really how i you know instead of sort of saying well i take it on board and i'll think about it um so from filming to airing was six months. So I had six months to kind of like get my shit together. And so I just worked really hard. I sold advertising space. I got a distribution company on board and I um, created an international magazine which went on sale in 16 countries the same weekend that my episode, episode aired. And so it sold out worldwide. And I did um, a couple of international issues like that, but on the back of the show, I got loads of opportunities. And one of them was to be a partner for the clothes show, which I don't know if you know, it was like the biggest fashion event in the, in the country at the time. And my it magazine- used to, used to be on BBC back in the day. It did, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so my magazine, Elle and Cosmopolitan, were the media partner this one specific year. And I thought, uh, sort of based on what the organizers told me, I should have made, you know, 50 grand or worst, best case scenario, half a million quid. So I just put all my eggs in one basket thinking I was going to make all this money. I had this incredible stand design. I made the special issue magazine uh, and I made a fiver. And I actually didn't even have enough money to stay because I put everything in it, every penny I had and exhausted like 30 day payment terms that I'd built up with the printers and stuff like that. And I thought well, it doesn't matter because on day one, I'm going to make 20 grand. And I, I, So I got a hotel. My friend came, um, Kim, to help me and uh, day one, nothing. And it was like, shit, I've only got enough money to stay another night. If day two doesn't pick up, then we're screwed. And day two, the thing was, the audience was not our audience. It's kids who were interested in Amy Child and uh, The Only Way is Essex. And they don't care about independent fashion and, you know, startups and all. It was just the wrong audience. And so on day two, a lot of businesses, actually, it wasn't just us, had kind of been sold a dream that didn't come to fruition. And I had to just leave. I only had enough money to get petrol in my car to drive back to Leeds. And Whoa. I had to leave 15,000 copies of the magazine behind. I had to leave this stand that I'd spent £6,000 getting designed and just sort of go home with my tail between my legs. Like, failed like I fucked it I failed and that drive home was awful like only just having enough money in the tank to get back and and it had gone from um two years the business had been going and it was really really going well and that one event changed everything and if I've learned anything it's do not put all your eggs in one basket but I was you know mid-20s it was all a learning curve and it, it's been part of the journey really and part of the story so so is that when out of those ashes was born House of Cocoa? And I understand as well that you've, you've almost switched. So that, that was like independent fashion and this is more travel based. Yeah. So where, yeah, where, so where, did, that, where did that switch come into the uh, evolution of it as well? So when Urban Cocoa went tits up and uh, I ended up being made bankrupt and the company went into liquidation and all this, I um, sat in a coffee shop, LS6 coffee shop, it's called, at High yeah, yeah. Corner in Leeds. I you used to do the t-shirts. Yeah, yeah. I used to have one of the hoodies. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually um, grew up in Woodhouse, so that was LS6. Um, but I moved to Moortown about 17 years ago, but I was like LS6 ls6 crew um <laughs> yeah so i sat i sat i sat in there with penny and um jillian who was was a designer for the magazine before and i penny had to buy my coffee like i had nothing and i said look i've had another idea and i'm i'm gonna launch another magazine 
this time it's going to be about travel because I realized there's no money to be made in in the fashion industry especially not independent fashion you know but they're trying to survive month on month they're not thinking about advertising revenue and I knew the travel industry was booming and it just seemed and I wanted to travel and I never ever in my wildest dreams when I sat in that coffee shop with absolutely not a penny to scratch my ass with thought that five and a half years later I would be sitting here having traveled to you know, 60 or 60 odd times abroad and have a team of 50 content creators who have seen every single corner of the globe and have worked with brands like Rolls Royce and have been sponsored by Land Rover for the last three years. And I've literally lived a life that when I sat in that coffee shop, didn't even come into my imagination. It's been what crazy. What made you go for trouble? What made you, what made it, what was the, the crowning moment in you? I know, like you said, you wanted to step away from independent fashion, but mm -hmm. what, what was it about travel that stood out? It was just because I knew that um, in terms of like looking at different um, areas, you know, fashion, travel, beauty, lifestyle, art, the one thing that stood out was the travel industry because it was booming. Everyone was traveling. It was a multi-billion pound industry. And I, I wanted to travel more. But I remember at the time I um I was gay I uh, um the previous magazine I did a lot of beauty content a lot of fashion content and so I used to get sent a lot of makeup and things like that and I'd be buzzing you know with free lipstick that'd be great but then I got to the point where I realised that these free things do not pay the bills and mm. I didn't want free makeup anymore I'm not interested and I thought I don't even remember thinking that I'd get free travel I just thought it just seemed like an industry where I could potentially make a lot of money. And then, and then yeah, yeah, and then it, uh, it's a lot of like, uh, it wasn't starting from scratch. This is one of the things that I, I like, people think you failed and you're starting again. And it's like, you're not starting from scratch, you're starting from experience. And I had so much more experience so that when it did launch, I had contacts, I had people that I could go to. Um, and I remember like the first, the first invitation I got to go to um, a wellness retreat in Spain. And I was like, oh my God, I've been invited to Spain and they're paying for my flight and I get free meals. And oh, I can't believe it. I was like, whoa, fuck. And anyway, I went off to Spain and it turned out it was a boot camp. And um, it was a, a vegan <laughs> chef, which I didn't even know what veganism was back then. And like limited meals, eight hours working out a day. And I thought I, I really should have done my research. <laughs> made sure that I sent someone that would actually appreciate that. but. Yeah, I mean, five and a half years later, it's it's been crazy. I'm, I'm really, really grateful for the journey that I've been on. Would you say, because at the time that that started and you'd already had experience in it as well, from the outside world looking in, it feels like the print market is sort of dwindling. But you've managed mm -hmm. to build a brand and go from strength to strength. So... I often consider, and one thing I wanted to see if you get this analogy, it's like the way of vinyl with music. It felt like vinyl had sort of grown out, you know, CDs, MP3s came in, but the true love of that tangible feel meant that people were going to always go back to vinyl. Do you find that a high caliber, you know, quality paper press magazine is what people want as opposed to just scrolling through, be it online on the Kindle, looking at, blo uh, looking at blogs? Do you feel like... Pete, that's why there's still scope for specialist niche magazines within that industry. 100% because 
where the, our audience is kind of like us, we're the last generation to remember what life was like without the internet. So we love that physical product. But what a magazine gives you is, you know, I do understand in some aspects when people say print is dead because, you know, the newspaper industry, when you're printing news, by the time it's come out, it's old news. Mm. Whereas what we're doing is we're creating timeless, inspirational, aspirational content that whether you read it today or you read it next year, you're still gonna feel inspired. And what, when you read a magazine, you kind of set time aside to sit down with a cup of tea and scroll through those places and it's me time. And in the world where we're at now, where there's so much noise online, like everybody needs a bit of me time and, and you can get that through a print magazine. That's a good analogy of it, a bit of me time. And also not just me time, it's almost like visualization me time. It's like, oh, I'd love to be there or something to work towards. And, I'm a massive fan of vision boards and I think like if you've got these immaculate places it's like I'll be there one day so it's almost like yeah. those dreams and visions of people who come into contact with it as well is that something that is very significant when you are speaking with your content creators and you know is a lot of the ethos of the magazine itself yeah and our ethos is it's all about living your best life whatever that looks like to you and i send the the writers go off every single well pre-covid 19 obviously we'd have multiple destinations that the team would be in from south africa to the maldives to barbados every single week and i said i just want you to go there and have fun like have fun live it like live your best life and then that will come through in the content that they create whereas i do i do find with a lot of influencers now that they might create a stunning image but it's they're not living in the moment yeah. so we're all about you've got to live in the moment we only put content out there because we truly truly believe it we truly lived it it wasn't just about getting a pretty picture so um that's something that i'm really passionate about and an example of that was um a couple of years ago i went to venice and I, it was the second time i'd been the first time was amazing i loved it and then the second time, when I was on my way there, I looked at this influencer on Instagram and she posted this really leggy, beautiful picture by the side of the water. And I was like, oh, the weather looks fantastic. Can't wait to get there. And I got there and the um, Venice had experienced the highest tides in 400 years. And the water had risen so high that it came up to my waist and we had to walk around with black bags and wading through the water to our waist. <laughs> And so there's a picture on our Instagram way back when where I've done like black bag chic where I'm in the streets of Venice with the water up to my waist. And I've even gone as far as <laughs> wrapping my hair up in a black bag so I look like an African princess. And, and we'll show the realness of it. Whereas this other influencer, she was more concerned about getting a pretty picture. Whereas we're really only concerned in uh, portraying the truth of a destination so that people, um, if they go there when we say, then we've done our research. Uh, I know you've got a shoot, so I've, there's just another quick couple from me. Uh, just to lean on that, how do you balance the magazine life with the online life? Because it does seem like there is that call for influencers, but you also want to have that detail online, but obviously you don't want it to submerge and cloud out the magazine. So how do you balance it so one is a boost for the magazine? So we have um, new content that goes out on our website every single day and the content that goes in print is exclusive to print so you won't read that online um, but yeah like I say there's 50 people in the team so we have new content going out every like multiple times per day online um, and then at the end of the article we'll be like you know to find out more about this destination click here to read the print magazine and we just use it as ways to link through but by reading the print magazine you don't feel like oh I've read this online it's all um, 
every single thing that we print is because we've been there and we believe it and we only print good stuff like we've been places where it's been shit and we've had to say this is shit <laughs> and <laughs> we'll you know we'll kind of say look we're not going to print lies but we'll give them an opportunity not to print anything at all um so which i think is only the fairest thing to do and there's no point wasting pages on negative uh, yeah. news but yeah everything in print is exclusive to print and, and you can't read it on our website and the final one then is would you see the growth of vlogging as a, an extra addition to incorporate you know if you've got 50 content creators maybe obviously this the skill of writing is the personality that comes through and making you feel like you're with them that's what for me the art of writing is it's you know, when people get into it, there is such a skill to it. Mm -hmm. But do you also think that there could be the opportunity? I'm not sure if there is, but is there a potential for them to also create short content videos as well while they're out there? Yeah, no. So we do encourage everyone to create video content as well. But at the moment, the only video content we create is every magazine that comes out, which is every quarter. We have one behind the scenes trailer where we put everyone's content together. And um, but then when everyone goes on a trip, they'll do takeovers on our stories. And we really like to get the personality of our writers across because that's like one of the things that sort of sets us apart is we have we're called Team Coco. And each person has an individual writing style and individual personality and it means that our readers resonate with a different person so we can reach a bigger audience but yeah every single trip people will like be doing stories on instagram and um but vlogging and stuff like that is definitely something we could and will be doing more of perfect well i'll let you shoot but i'd love to be able to chat to you again because some of the phrases that you said before like real stuck out and i know you do uh, the mentoring side as well and I felt like it would be good to maybe touch base a bit further on this, but speak about that side of it as well a different time when there's a bit more time if you're up for that. Yeah, no, I'd love to. Yeah, so what I'm rushing off for is... Um... Uh, what, what's been interesting about this whole scenario is with COVID-19 is obviously we, we're normally traveling. So people that we would be like visiting all around the world, it's interesting to see how they're pivoting their businesses. So one of our online um, interviews that we did with an artist, she opened a studio in London and obviously this happened. So she's trying to work out how she can still um, deliver art classes. So I've been sent loads of art materials and I'm doing a live art class with her in four minutes time. So yeah. That is awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, honestly. Like, there's a lot that's thank part you. of that. And the fact, the gusto that you showed to come through and, like, bounce back from where it was to, to take this to the level that it's currently at, it's amazing. And um, I'll message you away from this and we'll look to get another chat as well. But definitely when this is over, it'll be cool to link up and, and get on that level yeah, and no, see definitely. how we can combine to get leads on the, on the platform that we know yeah, it should be. Yeah, exactly. Collaboration over competition. Respect to you. Take it easy, Laura. Take, Thanks, stay safe through this time. See you soon. Peace. Bye. Bye. There we are, Laura Bartlett, the founder and CEO of House of Coco. We'll be getting her back on to speak to her about her business mentor inside as well, because as you can tell when she was speaking, she had a lot of good term phrases, which uh, are definitely good for the momentum of uplifting. The, the, the spirits and the, and the creativity of people. And that's what Loose Lips is about. If you're new to Loose Lips, I'm Ben Random. Loose Lips was created during the lockdown to do just that, just raise the spirits of people that are coming into contact with it. So I'll be back at six o'clock 
with a discussion with my boy Rico, who is the global ambassador of Absolute Vodka. So we'll be speaking with him about all things to do with life in Sweden, that brand and just how we found adjusting to there from the UK and how they're going through this time as well, because they're not actually under lockdown. So I've got, I've got a few things that I want to ask him about that as well. So yeah. Join me at six on my IG channel, Ben Random. If you want to catch up with any of the previous chats that we've done, go onto YouTube and put in Pop Cult Chic, and you can see all the back catalogue. Or likewise on Instagram, pop.cult.chic. You can find everything on there. Thank you everyone for tuning in, and I'll see you at six. Peace.